Welcome to The Well Podcast. We pray that this message ministers to you and blesses you as you listen. All right, well, praise God. Well, happy Father's Day, everyone, especially the fathers this morning. Feel a little off-centered, maybe a little OCD. Well, uh, this Father's Day, a couple of things have already stood out to me. Um, so preparing for Father's Day, you, you, you know, you have to look at the, the role of a father and our Heavenly Father, and you look at society and those kind of things. And, and, and if you look at society, the, the biggest social issue society has is the absence of fathers. Um, one of the statistics, uh, rather alarmingly, is there's, uh, I think this is from 2012, so I don't know what it would be today, but somewhere in the neighborhood of 43 million kids live in a home with no father. No father, no stepfather, no father figure. And so um, if you look at those 43 million children or if you look at their predecessors and you look at who has issues with substance abuse and who has issues with violence and who has issues with crime and, and who is, uh, you know, in, in prison and those kind of things, it's an alarming number of those come from homes with no father. And it is probably the single biggest predictor of future uh, success or, or, or struggle or whatever you want to put the, the label on it is whether or not they have a father in the home. Now, that's not to say the father in the home is a, is a good father or a really bad one, but, but simply, uh, as far as surveys and statistics go, that father being in the home makes a tremendous difference in the upbringing of those kids. And so my heart hurts for those homes. It hurts for those kids. Um, and honestly, it's one of those areas where the, the church probably ought to be more involved. There's a lot we probably ought to be more involved in. But being a father to the fatherless seems like one of those things we ought to be doing really well. Um, and so there, there ought to be a mandate, and it's burning in my heart. And, and honestly, I, I've got to seek the Lord in prayer, and I've got to figure out what he wants me to do about it on an individual level. And if that gets amplified and I bring people along and what we can do at a corporate level, then we'll do that. Um, but this is a, it's an issue that comes up periodically. Um, I think last fall we did a, a Bible study with a, with a few men, and it was in there. Um, and it's just something that comes up again and again. And, and, you know, God bless the fathers who are in the home, the ones who are, are there and who are steady. And God bless double the ones that are the stepfathers and that are the neighbors that are fulfilling that role of a father for that, for that young boy next door because they're making a real tangible impact in that in that young man or that young woman's life and it's not all about sons but it is also including daughters and there's statistics that that daughters and have the same substance abuse and 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 child abuse and uh pregnancy out of wedlock and early pregnancy and all those things go with the girls when they don't have that father at home as well so the presence of the father in the home is huge is absolutely huge and I know my dear wife, she lost her dad when she was 15 in an industrial accident. 
And what a sensitive time that was. But, you know, she had 15 years of her father being there and being that image before her that encouraged her, that loved her, that disciplined her. And there's probably a lot of stories there that I don't even know that she hasn't shared with me, but, but she had that influence in her life. Um, and not as long as, as maybe some of, us, some of the others of us in the room, and, and maybe longer than some of the others in the room. But having that father in the home is such, makes such a tremendous impact. But um, Father's Day is that time that we, we set aside, much like Mother's Day. We, we want to honor fathers today. And, um, and kind of what we did as a church, if you've seen my kids, uh, we can stand together and you can't tell who's who. Um, because we all dressed alike and it was like dress like dad day. Um, and I, I see uh, Lincoln over here, he's got no sleeves on, so I wonder if that's a thing. But anyway, um, but anyway, we, we, we do that to, to honor our Father and to, and to recognize that, that our fathers impart to us um, certain traits and behaviors. Um, and so, so we choose Father's Day and, and we, we select Father's Day and, and we make special efforts on Father's Day to, to honor our dads, to thank our dads. Um, and we honor them, uh, as Karen was saying up here, sometimes we like to get them gifts. So one of the first things I wanted to do, um, I've got two things that, that are very unique on Father's Day, and the first one is Father's Day gifts. Um, so Nate, if you can get that presentation put up there. I wanted to, to go over a, a few of the top gift ideas, and these are completely legit, good housekeeping, top gifts for dad, Okay. So the first one, you know, dads come home and often they're, you know, and I think of Ken when I, when I think of this, you know, he's, he's out in the heat all day and he's working underneath a greasy truck, you know, and it's been a hard day lifting heavy things and doing lots of physical work and we just want dad to come home and relax, right? And so, and so dad has the honor, you know, of coming home and, and taking a break, you know, and, and, and what, what is that saying like the, the home is the man's castle, Right? It's where he can kick off his shoes at the end of a long day and put his feet up and, and sit on the end of the couch. And, of course, we don't want Dad to go anywhere. So we, we have this first gift. That's the sofa arm pocket. So this is putting everything within Dad's reach. You can put the remote in here. You can set his tablet in here, his newspaper, whatever. You know, that ages you a little bit. But, but you can put whatever right in here so dad doesn't have to get up. And so we can say, dad, take a break, take a rest. We want to put all this right at your fingertips um, so you, you don't have to, to yell across the house, where's the remote control? Right? We want to put it all at your fingertips. Legitimately on the list, top gift, 2022. But much like the remote control and much like keys and phones, sometimes our dads can be forgetful. How many forgetful dads in the house? Yeah, okay, good. Thank you for not letting me be alone in that. Thank you very much. But for dads that, that, um, that can lose things, um, and, and honestly, it's a gift to lose things so quickly. Um, it, it is. It is. I, I, can, I, I don't want to brag on myself, but it's a gift. It's a special gift that I have. But for the dad who who is losing things and, and a family who wants to help him, you can now get this GPS tile tracker that he can stick on his keys. You can stick. 
Daryl, this isn't a competition. <laughs> but, you, but you can get this tile tracker so he can, he can keep up with his keys and his phone and his remote and those kind of things. And all he has to do is borrow someone else's phone to download the app to run the thing on there to find where he left his phone. But, um, but you know, losing those things is one thing. And again, it's not a competition, but I have to tell myself, I have lost things in my left hand. Literally, it would be like, I just had it. Where'd the microphone go? It was right here. Oh, here it is. And how many of y'all have lost your glasses up on your head? All right. All right. Thank you for not letting me be alone in that one, too. <clears throat> but... For those dads that are especially talented at losing things, we have the magnetic wristband. Now those little things are no farther than, than right there on your wrist. And so, and so you can stick things right to it. Somebody's laughing really hard because they've received this gift. And lost it. <laughs> uh, it's probably got the little tile tracker on it too. All right. But not all dads are forgetful. There are the new dads. And these tend to be the younger dads. And, and for the younger dad who's just had a kid, who's just got the baby, the first-time dad, you know, it, it's not that they're forgetful. They just feel unprepared. They feel unprepared. So for that father, the one that's got the new baby who's feeling unprepared, we have this new dad hoodie. This is like the Swiss Army knife of hoodies. It has everything a dad could need to deal with the situation with a young child, to deal with the infant. Dirty diaper, got it covered. Fussy baby, get a bottle, got it covered. Need some snacks, got it covered. So pockets for everything for the new dad. So they can tackle anything that the baby can throw at them. Amen? All right. But not all dads are new dads. Some of the more seasoned dads, as they, they get older, they find that their needs shift and change a little bit. So I know me, it happened when I was about 40, and I started to, to need these. And I find that I need them more and more. But for those dads who are, say, more seasoned in, in fatherhood, we have this beautiful three-pack of fuzzy-lined eyeglass stands so they'll never again lose their glasses, or at least not three pairs at once. And there's a three-pack here because you can have one at the office and one at home, one on your bed sand, the coffee table, wherever you might need them. But you'll have your eyeglasses always available and fuzzy lined to keep them scratch-free. And so finally, for the dad who has everything, who simply wants that classic, timeless gift, from his loving, adoring family. We have the desktop golf set. To, to entertain dad in those few minutes that he has between meetings, between tasks, between chores, he can simply get his little golf set out and enjoy a few minutes of golf on his desktop. So these are, these are some, in case you needed some ideas, these are some of the really uh, sincerely wonderful ways that good housekeeping says that we can honor our fathers on Father's Day. So, so Father's Day gifts are unique. 
But you know, there's something that only dads can do. And this has become kind of this cultural uh, fabric of fatherhood. It's, it's like a cultural right for dads to engage in this activity. And, it, and we get much criticism for it. But it's something that, that I think, personally, every dad needs to really get good at. And they're dad jokes. So did you hear about the restaurant on the moon? They had great food, but no atmosphere. Some of y'all get this on the ride home. Some of y'all get it on the ride home. What do you call a fake noodle? An impasta. Some of y'all are writing this down. I know you are. What did the grape do when he got stepped on? He let out a little wine. All right, and the last one. Do you know why you never see elephants hiding in trees? Because they're so good at it. (laughs) So, So, dads, I give you permission there are lots more out there on the internet. Just, I just give you permission to come and share that with your family. Share that love and joy. It's something that only dads can do. But, but seriously, I don't know if I can recover from this, seriously. <laughs> but seriously, we love, our, we love our dads. We love our fathers. Um, and, you know, we, we dress up today to to be a, an, an imitation, if you will. And, um, and there's a quote that, that many of you are familiar with, and I think Becky said it earlier, um, or close to it anyways, but it's, it's actually a quote from a, a fellow named Oscar Wilde, who was a poet and a playwright uh, in the 1800s, but he says, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Um, and that, that's usually where we stop on, on that quote, but it actually is a little bit longer, um, and, it, and it adds a punch to it, I think, but it says, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery that mediocrity can pay to greatness. So in that, in that imitation, in that being flattery and, and dressing up like dad and, and behaving like dad or, or celebrities or whatever you might be imitating, it really is saying that there is something unique and special about this person. And if you've ever watched like a Saturday Night Live or you watch comedians and they're imitating somebody and they can kind of capture that essence, you know, that's that specialness uh, that they capture, you know, and they kind of make fun of and those kind of things. Um, but it also is a, is a um, kind of a statement that acknowledges that, you know, that's, that's something unique about this person that, that we love and adore that only that person has, only that person can bring. And so it's recognizing that, that uniqueness that they have as well. And, uh, and I would say that, that one of the things, if, if, you're, uh, if you're a father of any age, uh, especially once your kids get to speaking age, uh, and especially I would say when they're like toddlers, um, one of the greatest moments I think that you can have that really illustrates how you can have an impact on the child's life is when you're driving in the car and someone cuts you off. And where you normally would say something, you hear it from the back seat. <laughs> and you realize that children are always listening. They're always listening. And children know nothing more than to watch and imitate and, and kind of 
a, a, a mock back to you what they see you and hear you say and, and watch you do. Um, and, and it even uh, became apparent when, um, when we had some friends over and, and they had had dinner, or we had had dinner, not they had had dinner like we didn't eat, but, but we had had dinner and we go and they're going to help us out in the kitchen and even down to how we wash the dishes. Uh, now, my mom is, is, is bad at this. She has to go left to right, even if there's no counter space over there, where, where we go right to left, and so the dry dishes end up on the counter over here. Um, but my mom can't get out of that left to right. Well, these friends that came over um, would fill up both basins in the sink, one with soapy water and one with clean water. And, and I had never seen this before. How many of y'all do this? Rinse them with a, with a basin of water? Yeah. So a few of you, um, we always like turn the thing on, rinse the plate, turn the thing off. Um, and, so, and so as they're starting to fill this up, I'm just like totally confused. But that's how they were taught. And that's how they learned to do those things. And so our children are constantly watching us and how we do all these things. And we have an impact on their life. And all the habits they pick up. Um, Katie was sharing with me this morning that I don't remember if she said Lincoln or Garrett. But one of them stands a certain certain way, Garrett does, um, and kind of mimics his grandfather on, on Katie's side. Um, and so, so even the way he stands, he's seen something or, I don't know, uh, whatever it is, you know, he's mimicking it from somewhere. Um, but, but children are always watching, um, always learning, always observing. And so, um, so likewise... Us, as children of God, should also be watching our Heavenly Father and listening to our Heavenly Father intently, right, to mimic what we're seeing from the Father. Ephesians 5.1 says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. And so we see this same relationship with God that we have in our own children. And we see this same uh, um, attitude of watching and imitating God as we might think about our children, how they watch and imitate what we do. <clears throat> Genesis 1.26 says, uh, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And so if you've studied that scripture, um, the us in there is, is a subject of much controversy. Um, we look at it and we think, uh, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But if you were from a Jewish culture, and this exists in the Jewish language, they would look at it and say that it is God in heaven and all the host of angels that surround him. Either, I think, could be true. Because I think all those angels and things that surround God also, in their own way, have the fingerprint of God on them. If you think about an artist in a painting, if you know the artist, you can see a painting that you've never seen before and go, well, that looks like Monet. Or that looks like whoever, right? And, and you can recognize the way the, the, the canvas is painted, the colors are used, the way the strokes are on there, and you can recognize the artist without the artist having a signature on it. And so, and so much like that, I think man is made in the image of God where there's this indelible fingerprint of God on man. Now, I can say all that in here, but I want you to think about dealing with people out there. Because in here, where, where most of us gather because we, we have 
turned to Christ and made him the Lord of our life, and we are desiring to draw close to God and desiring to know him, we can look at this and fall short of its full meaning in saying that all of us who know Christ, who know God, have his fingerprint. But even those that are outside that don't know God, who, who have turned their back on God, they also have the fingerprint of God on them. And so our eyes need to be open to the fact that just because they don't know him, just because they've rejected him, doesn't make them any less an image bearer of God than anyone else. Now, we can grow that image as we pursue God, as we become more like him, and the scriptures will say that's what we should be doing. But the point I want to make right here is that as we go out into the world, we need to make sure that we're treating people as the image bearer of God that they intrinsically are. That doesn't get taken away just because they behave poorly, just because they make poor decisions, because they would do things differently than we would do, because they, they dishonor their, their mother and father and brother and society or whatever. It doesn't make them any less an image bearer of God. So when we look at man and we see God's fingerprint, to see his fingerprint more clearly, we only need to look to Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 says, The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And then in John 14.9, Jesus is replying to, to Philip here, and he says, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And so Christ, the, the living man who comes to earth, that is the embodiment of, of, of God with us, Emmanuel, is the image bearer of God. He is all man and all God. He is, he is what God would look like in the flesh. And he serves as our perfect role model that we are supposed to pursue and follow in our daily lives as Christians. As those that have accepted him as Lord and Savior, he, he is now the role model. He is the one standing at the top of the hill that we should be striving to be more like. And so we are made in the image of God, yet recognizing our own shortcomings and our own failures, we're to imitate God, and we need only to look to Jesus for that perfect reflection that we should imitate. 1 John 2, verse 6. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. 1 Peter 2, verse 21. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. First Corinthians, first, let me try again. First Corinthians is right behind First Corinthians, but it's totally different. First Corinthians 11, Paul says, you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. So here Paul is, the one who walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, and he says, you know what? I'm doing my best to imitate Christ, so if you guys look to me, I want you to see the image of Christ in me. I want you to see how I imitate him, and then you imitate me as I imitate him. And I see all this, and it suddenly occurs to me that, that as we know Christ and as we show Christ to other people, we can stand here and say the same thing that Paul said. When we meet people on the street that don't know him or, or young Christians that have just met him, we can say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that, that creates a high standard for our lives. 
And that's what we should be living up to. We know a God who, who, who knows the end from the beginning, who, who has a pocket full of miracles. He is just looking to put out in the right place at the right time so that he can get glory from it, that we can thank him for it, that we can honor him with it and through it. And we can say to others, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. And then Ephesians 5.2, it says, live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. Everything in the Bible in the, in the New Testament points us to Christ and how we should imitate his character and his uh, demeanor and how we should treat one another with that same love and compassion that Christ felt. And that, that word compassion, and, and this just came back to my memory. Thank you, Holy Spirit. That word compassion, if you see in the text where it says God was moved with compassion, and I'll butcher the, the, the Greek uh, uh, word here, but it's something like splagetomai. Um, and and it's, it's a Greek word that means that he was literally like felt it in his bowels. He literally had a physical reaction to what he was seeing. And it's one of these things where, where he just could not, he, there was a moment where he could not walk away. He was so moved that he had this gut reaction that just, you know, and I can imagine him just doubling over and grabbing his stomach and saying, I feel so much for this situation for these people. And so if we're going to move in that compassion, I think God has to awaken that spirit within us. And he's got to really allow us to get to that same level. Because if we're just doing it because we think it's a good thing, there's so many other thoughts that can come in and push that aside. There's so many other priorities that can, can push that aside. But I think God has got to stir us in our gut. He's got to stir us in that deepest part of our heart to waken us to those things, to that, to that mission that he wants us on, to that purpose that he has for us. So the scriptures are clear we're to imitate Christ. We're to share in his love, his hope, his word, his compassion, his authority and power in prayer. So how do we do that? How do you imitate Christ who is perfect? Well, let me say that the, the answer to that question is in the word. It's in the word and it's in prayer. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 16 through 18. It says, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, and we talked about turning up here this morning, the veil is taken away. What veil is that? It's a veil of sin. It's a veil of man. It's a veil of this world. And it allows us to see past all the troubles and difficulties of this world and have these spiritual eyes that, are, that the veil is taken away from that we can see rightly. The veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is in the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we're changed into his glorious image. So I just want to pull out a few things from this scripture. First of all, it's the turning. There has to be a turning in our life. There has to be a turning away from sin to the revelation that, that Christ is our Savior. We've got to bring that into our heart. It's got to be a belief, something that we, we hold dear and then there's got to be a turning away from self and all of the, the busyness and cares of this world. 
where Christ has to become our all in all. And so when we turn away from those, it says the veil is taken away. We know that, 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 that the scriptures record that the veil in the temple was torn. There is now no separation. There is now no uh, separation between the holy of holies and the presence of God than it is to the outside world. And I know I've shared this with a few of you, but I, I've studied that and I went looking for history of when the veil was torn, and, and I can't find it recorded anywhere yet, but I can find that the temple was forever changed after that time. The doors would open by themselves. The scapegoat was always, if you know the, 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 the sacrifice, there was always two. One was slaughtered, one was sent away. They would choose it by, by reaching into this pouch and picking out a white rock and a black rock. And depending on which hand it was in, that's, that's how they chose whether this one or that one. It came up the same for about 40 years. Statistically an impossibility. And yet it's recorded in Jewish culture and Jewish history. On that lamb that they would lead away, they would tie a red ribbon on it. I don't know if it was bloodstained or if it was just a red ribbon. But throughout history, throughout the, the history of the temple, when they, that, that lamb ultimately, they would reach its demise. They would push it off a cliff to make sure the sins didn't return to the city. They would remove this ribbon and bring it back and tie it onto the, the temple there or hang it on a hook somewhere where it was visible, where everyone would know that the sins have been done away with. And that, that cloth that they would bring out would turn white. And somewhere around the year 30 AD, around the time that Jesus would have been sacrificed on the hill of Golgotha, that cloth stopped turning white. As if to say, the sacrifice is no more. There's no, there's no purpose in it. There's no change in it. It doesn't bring cleansing anymore. And yet the Jews persisted. One of the authors I like to read, he says, those silly Jews. After that, that veil was torn, they sewed it up and put it back up, separating themselves from God who wanted only to be with them. But the veil is taken away. The veil on our own eyes, brought there by sin, brought there by the cares of the world, that's taken away as we turn to the Lord. And then there's freedom. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom from a past, freedom from sin, freedom from, from all that, that regret, all that shame that our, that our past would want to heap on us. When we come to know the Lord, it says that we are made new. We are a new creation. And so all of that, that, that before would just be our reputation and be our past, we can come up and say, well, I'm not who I used to be. I have been made new. My name is written in the book in heaven, and the Lord knows my name. Yes, I used to be this person, but no longer. I have been washed by the redemptive blood of the Lamb, and I have been made new. But we're free to live in that. We're free to, to put our past behind, to live in the love and the life and the freedom that he has for us. So verse 18, it says, So all of us who have had that veil removed, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And here's what I want you to get out of this day right here, is that you can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. Just like we can imitate our fathers and we can, can see all those, those attributes and see the, the best in our father and bring those out, 
we can see and reflect the same thing in the Lord. So we're invited to, to dig into these scriptures, to, to learn about Jesus, to get on our knees in prayer, to, to get lost in our secret place with him and seek his face and become more like him. And we do it by, by, by studying the word, by being in prayer, by being with him. And so the, the veil's removed so we can see and, and once was foolish now is, is made wise. What, what, what was once a mystery in the text is made clear to us. And so we begin to see with these spiritual eyes. And we begin to see with our spiritual eyes. And that gets into our heart. And it ought to change us where we reflect what we see. You've heard it said, you, be, you become what you behold. And so if we behold the Lord, if we behold Christ, and, 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 we, and we look at that, and that's what we're constantly pouring in, then that's what's going to come out. And so we, we have to read, and we have to study, and we have to pray, and we have to seek his face. It's clear from the scriptures that we are to be imitators of Christ. But you can't imitate someone that you don't spend time with. And so there is a need and a demand on us to spend time in prayer to spend time with Christ, to look his way, and to be like Moses, who spent so much time in the presence of the Lord that his face shone. And the people thought it was so unusual that they asked Moses to cover his face, to veil his face, because they looked at him and said, oh, that's too much for us. And all God wanted to do was invite them all up to be with him which tells me that at some point there is a choice that we all have to make, whether we're going to spend time with him or whether we're going to put the veil back up and step away. But we have to spend time with him if we're going to imitate him. We want to thank you for listening in today. At The Will, we believe in cultivating a culture for more of God. Wherever you are in your relationship and walk with God, we believe that there is always more for those who diligently seek after him. If you would like to find out more, please check out our website at thewellmichigan.com and connect with us on social media.